You don't put those inside of you, do you? This is a show about women. I mean, you do? Finally, a show about women that isn't just a thinly veiled aspirational nightmare. It's not hosted, not narrated. We're just dropping into a woman's world. I found out when my dad was gay when I was 10. We were in a convertible on the 405 freeway, listening to the B-52s. Looking back, I should have said, this is gay. This is already all gay. <laughs> Listen to Finally a Show on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, this is Shannon Doherty, host of the new podcast, Let's Be Clear with Shannon Doherty. So in this podcast, I'm going to be talking about marriage, divorce, my family, my career. I'm also going to be talking a lot about cancer, the ups and the downs, everything that I've learned from it. It's going to be a wild ride. So listen to Let's Be Clear with Shannon Doherty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Hey, it's Alec Baldwin. This past season on my podcast, Here's the Thing, I spoke with more actors, musicians, policymakers, and so many other fascinating people like jazz bassist Christian McBride. Jazz is based on improvisation, but there's very much a form to it. You have a conversation based on that melody and those chord changes. So it's kind of like giving someone a topic and say, okay, talk about this. Listen to the new season of Here's the Thing on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Danny Shapiro, and this is The Way We Live Now. Today is day 63, since scoring saran wrap at the market became cause for celebration, and day 21 of this podcast. My guest today is Suleika Jawad, Suleika is a writer, speaker, and cancer survivor. In the early days, or are we still in the early days, of the pandemic, she started a remarkable creative project called The Isolation Journals. I will let Suleika tell you all about it. Suleika, thank you so much for joining me to talk about the way we live now. Thank you, Danny. It's such an honor. Uh, to get to chat with you. Describe your surroundings to us. You know, one of the things I ask all of my guests on this podcast is, um, I think it's a way of connecting us to just have a sense of a little window into our lives and where we are. So where are you? I'm currently uh, talking to you from Vermont. Uh, My family has a little cabin uh, and that's where I've been for the last couple of weeks. And in some ways, it's the ideal place to self-quarantine, which I've had to do um, because of my immune system. But, you know, there are difficulties that come with it too. One of them being that I have no cell phone reception. So I'm actually calling you from about 15 miles away from the cabin uh, where I am currently sitting in my Jeep in the parking lot of a Baptist church, uh, which is the (laughs) only place I can get a connection strong enough uh, to do this podcast with you. Well, I really appreciate your making the effort. Have you been at the cabin in Vermont since the start? Pretty much as soon as the situation with COVID-19 uh, and the number of cases started 
uh, to spike and to intensify, I knew that um, I needed to be extra cautious. I'm cautious of my immune system in normal times and certainly in these times. So in early March, I actually left uh, from my parents' home in upstate New York where I spent two weeks uh, in the attic in complete quarantine, then in a sort of more modified version of that uh, where I could actually hang out with my family and eat dinner and do all those good things. So it's been pretty much uh, about two months Mm -hmm. since I've returned to my apartment. And obviously there's a tremendous amount of privilege and and even having the option uh, to, to leave my apartment in Brooklyn and a lot of mixed feelings that came with that. But I, I think like a lot of other cancer survivors maybe do always live with a kind of undercurrent of caution. Um, and I think this specific uh, situation in the pandemic has certain, certainly heightened that. I've thought of you and, and other friends, and my husband is also a cancer survivor, and I've wondered in a variety of ways, what it feels like to, first of all, be aware that you're in a more vulnerable population, but also um, I think that people who have survived really life-threatening illnesses know something about isolation. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, I think, and I can only speak for myself on the one hand, it uh, definitely has excavated uh, some dormant concerns that I fortunately, you know, uh, have been in a place in the last few years where I haven't had to actively day in and day out uh, think about uh, my mortality um, beyond just the sort of existentialism which we all do. And I think this, you know, has sort of reactivated a an, an awareness of my fragility, of all of our fragility and the ways in which, you know, that famous Joan Didion line, the ways in which life can change in an instant. I was diagnosed with leukemia when I was 22, and I spent the better half of my 20s uh, in treatment. And uh, because of the nature of my disease and the bone marrow transplant that I underwent in pretty extreme isolation and having to kind of grapple with that day in and day out, not just in practical terms, but also in terms of figuring out what to do with myself uh, within that very bizarre space. And so, you know, as the world retreated and as I retreated uh, because of the pandemic, in a way, I felt lucky that I have this toolbox of coping and survival skills that I had to learn. and that in many ways feel like they apply to the situation now. You and I have had to interrogate some of these questions about how do we deal with illness and how do we deal with the imprints of illness on a life, a career, on our relationships. And even though people have been grappling with illness since the beginning of time, it can feel so isolating when it happens to you, um, when it shows up in the form of a cancer diagnosis or, or maybe some other kind of diagnosis. But I, there's something extraordinarily unique and kind of fascinating about 
everyone in the world in real time grappling with these questions together. I wanted to talk with you about this really extraordinary project that you embarked on, the Isolation Journals, which you describe as a global movement cultivating community and creativity during hard times. And it's caught on and has a huge number of people participating in it now. Can you talk about, first of all, the beginnings of that, that glimmer of of a thought, an idea, um, that this was something that you wanted to do during this time, and then following through on that, from that glimmer to this movement? When I first got diagnosed and uh, entered the hospital to begin chemotherapy, I had all these convictions about how I was going to use this time. I, uh, that first bit in the hospital was about six weeks long. Uh, and I had all these convictions about um, how I was going to use this time to you know, finally start writing and to read all the books that I hadn't had a chance to read and to do all these things. Um, and I very distinctly remember I had a copy of War and Peace on my hospital bed and I thought to myself, like, that's one of those books that I'm always embarrassed to say I haven't read and I'm going to read it. And I had this sort of like willful optimism coupled with this kind of anxiety to make something of these unfortunate circumstances that haunted me all throughout that summer. And of course, uh, very quickly as the side effects of the chemo set in um, and as the reality of my diagnosis and my prognosis set in, uh, many of those plans fell to the side. I see a lot of that happening now, right? We're all trying to kind of make sense of these times, but also I think there's a lot of pressure to be productive or to do something. And the truth was for me that especially those first couple of months were incredibly challenging. I wasn't writing. I wasn't reading. I wasn't doing anything. Uh, I was watching a whole lot of terrible medical dramas <laughs> like Grey's Anatomy, uh, which weirdly were helpful to me. Once I kind of moved through that initial phase of grieving what had been lost and, and and figuring out what my physical limitations were and just sort of studying myself within this new life that I was living, I did start to think about how I might do something with my friends and family that could feel fun and maybe creative and give us something to orient our days around beyond illness and biopsy results. And so we ended up doing this project called the 100-Day Project, and uh, the concept was really simple, uh, which was that we would each decide on a project, and we would each do one creative thing every day for 100 days. And so for my dad, he wrote 101 childhood memories that he ended up compiling into a little booklet um, and giving to me. Mm. For my mom, he painted a tile every day for 100 days that she ended up assembling and this mosaic that she hung on my bedroom wall called Do Like a Shield. For me, I decided to keep it really simple and to do the thing that I've done for as long as I've known to write. And I think that's always kind of been useful to me when I'm struggling, which is to journal 
And so I wrote every day in that journal. And some days it was dozens of pages and other times it was a sentence. But I felt like I needed not just a sense of accountability of doing a project in real time with other people, but that sense of community. The contents of that journal ended up um, turning into so much more. They became the basis for my New York Times column, Life's Interrupted, and ended up being this uh, really beautiful launching pad to all sorts of things that I couldn't possibly uh, have dared imagine mm-hmm. or, or hoped for. But as the world retreated and as this pandemic struck, I, you know, as I um, myself kind of found myself in, in quarantine, I started to think about how I might revisit this project, not only uh, in my own journaling practice, but uh, how I might kind of share that with um, my community. And so I decided to do a reboot and I called it the Isolation Journals. Uh, And I reached out to um, a number of my favorite authors and writers and musicians and unsung heroes um, to see if they might be willing to offer a creativity prompt. Uh, And so that's how the project began. And within about a day, we had more than 20,000 subscribers. Um, And it's been really beautiful to watch it grow and reverberate um, around the world. Amazing. And now now it has, um, I think, what's the most recent count? I haven't checked in a couple of days, uh, but I think last time I checked, it was uh, over 80,000. Yeah, that's just amazing. And from all over the world. All over the world, yep. Uh, And we have everyone from a six-year-old participating to my grandmother, who Mm. is in her 90s. I love what you said about, you used the phrase orienting ourselves. And I think that when it comes to trauma, or I think we, we can safely say that the moment that we're in is pretty much vibrating with with trauma. This kind of orientation, this sense of organizing the day around one gesture or one small thing is something that's so important. Even if it's something like, like my, my, my son recently said, you know what, on Mondays we should do the sheets. <laughs> you know, like on, that way we'll know it's Monday. Or... You know, whatever it is, I mean, I just thought that was such a kind of healthy impulse to want to order ourselves around something. But, you know, wh- why do you think that, and this is a big question, but why do you think creativity matters so much in a time like this? I've always been someone who I, I can't quite fully articulate what it is I'm feeling, even just in the privacy of my own mind until I write it out. And so I think for me, this um, idea of making sense is something that I've only ever really been able to do through creativity uh, and, and in the privacy of a notebook. And so I think there's this sense for me of translation or transcription that can happen, uh, specifically with journaling that feels like a way of not just puzzling through uh, these incredibly disorienting and often frightening 
things that are happening when you're in a situation where you have to confront your mortality or even just the threat of it, there's a sense of clarity that can come uh, when you're in survival mode and there is a limit to what you can do and you have to very quickly figure out what is important and what is a priority. Mm-hmm. Whether that's you know meeting your basic needs and finding shelter or it's, uh, that you have, you know, an hour a day where you're physically well enough to do something and you have to figure out what it is you want to do with that one hour. But I think that for me, the sense of like archiving uh, some of these insights has always felt really important because hopefully as we sort of re-enter quote unquote normal life and as we move forward from this, it's always valuable to at some point be able to look back and, and, and revisit some of these thoughts and experiences. What has surprised you? Is there a particular prompt that has surprised you or something that someone has shared that surprised you? Yeah, I mean, honestly, all of it has surprised me. And so I've loved getting to receive prompts um, from other people uh, sharing their own kind of creative practices or their own prompts that they've either taught or that have been useful to them or that have been created for this time. Um, But I think the thing that I didn't expect is the different interpretations of journaling and not just in the written form. You know, people have responded to the prompts with paintings and with spoken word and with modern dance and with songs Mm. and with uh, all kinds of different things. And that's been fascinating to me Mm. uh, to have this opportunity to get small glimpses into um, different interpretations of the same prompt and to get glimpses into people's lives through those interpretations. That's the same motivation for this podcast as well. You know, I was going to end by asking you uh, what's giving you hope. And yet I, I'm hearing so much uh, hope in, in what you're talking about here. Would you say that doing the isolation journals is, is making you feel hopeful for the future? Yes. And I, I think, you know, the other thing that I've been reflecting on is isolation, not just in the context of the pandemic, but modern isolation mm-hmm. and this way in which um, and this isn't, you know, a novel observation. It's one that we've been talking about. Um, but this way in which we're all, you know, more connected virtually and otherwise than ever before. And yet so many people feel siloed and disconnected and profoundly lonely. And so I think for me, the lessons that I'm calling, not just from the Isolation Journalist Project or from my own experience that feels valuable are how people are finding creative ways to be connected across great distances. And I guess my hope is that we could bring some of that uh, thoughtfulness and creativity with us as we emerge from the pandemic. Because I think this question of isolation, and, and I don't, it feels like an epidemic of, of isolation that goes predates coronavirus and that will continue beyond it um, is something that 
I think we have a a, a deeper, more intimate understanding of mm. as a thing that we need to pay attention to and that we need to consider in the way that we speak to our neighbors and in the way that we show up for our communities. And so that gives me hope. That's beautifully put. This is really a beautiful conversation. And I'm grateful to you for driving to the parking lot of the Baptist Church and <laughs> um, and and taking the time and the thoughtfulness and for this beautiful project. Thank you so much, Danny. It's such an honor. Thanks. Be well. Take care. Thanks for listening to The Way We Live Now. Tell us the way you're living now. We want to hear. Call us on, you might want to get a pen for this, 909-713-8995. That's 909-713-8995. And record your story, and we might just use it on the pod. Also, you can join our Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash the way we live now pod. We are creating a community here, and we would love for you to join us. You can find me on Instagram at Danny Ryder. The Way We Live Now is a production of iHeartRadio. It's produced by Lowell Berlanti. Beth Ann Macaluso is executive producer. Special thanks to Tristan McNeil and Tyler Klang. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. You don't put those inside of you, do you? This is a show about women. I mean, you do? Finally, a show about women that isn't just a thinly-veiled aspirational nightmare. It's not hosted, not narrated. We're just dropping into a woman's world. I found out when my dad was gay when I was 10. We were in a convertible on the 405 freeway, listening to the B-52s. Looking back, I should have said, this is gay. This is already all gay. (laughs) Listen to Finally a Show on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 